Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine land, and uh, welcome to the show. And, you know, we're going to talk about leadership here, and I was really excited when uh, Tom agreed to uh, to come on. Uh, good friend and good friend of the show, Tom, welcome back. Hey, how you doing, Todd? Good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. This is uh, 2023 is uh, coming into full swing here, I guess, well, not full swing, I guess, starting swing, and, uh, you know, I... I I did a program just before for our end of the year, right? I said, was 2022 um, the year of resilience, right? With a question mark. And I'm hoping that if, if not, right, if we say no to that because of the craziness of 2022, you know, do, do you think 2023 could be the year of resilience? I mean, are we going to bounce back from all this craziness? Oh, yeah. I, you know what? It's interesting you say that. I would actually say bounce back and build back better. Uh, you know, when you think about resilience and resiliency, one of the things that I could say is it's the, it's the, the main focus we have right now uh, is to focus on how do we make sure that communities can focus on stress and stressors in the aftermath of a catastrophic incident. So I would say 2023 is going to be the implementation year. We've done a lot of a lot of conversations uh, across the board and a lot of the opportunities ahead are going to really be focused on this as well. So I love how you ended the year talking about resiliency and we're starting off 2023 with resiliency as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, uh, obviously, you know, those of us that are in the field of emergency management, you know, should be what we focus on. And one of the, I've talked about this for many years now, stressing moving from the, the, the squishy term of resiliency to like the Taleb's idea of, of anti-fragility and how do we create resilient communities that are truly anti-fragile communities bouncing back better is exactly what we're talking about there. And, you know, I mean, obviously we, we ended the year, of 2022 with a severe winter storm uh, throughout the Northeast. Buffalo specifically got pounded on this. Um, I know Chicago, you guys got hit up at Chicago area. Uh, Seattle with all the ice and the video of people sliding down hills. You know, uh, it, it was crazy. Uh, I'm in California. We, we just got, it got cold. I had to put a sweater on. But that was, <laughs> so it was cold for us too. Pray, pray for California, everybody. Um, but, but that being said, I mean, like we, we really, as a nation, um, saw this. And then, you know, of course, then the airlines got all screwed up and everything. And, and you know, we forget like how fragile, um, you know, our society can really be just by that one storm coming flying through. You know, what, what is it leading through? Uh, an event like this, that's a, it's realistically a nationwide event, although it's all it hits everybody locally. Yeah, you know, I, I go back to like all disasters start local and then local. Uh, and when we look at communities across the nation, one of the things that I'll say is there's a lot of resiliency that takes place. You have people that care. Uh, you have people that know the community. They know where the risks and the and the, and the challenges are going to be in the community. There are there uh, when we ended 2022, one of the things I could say is there was a lot of things taking place. But one of the things that I kept seeing was how communities came together. Mm -hmm. uh, just the other day, we saw how Pennsylvania, Ohio and New York work together as states to come together to be able to support Earth resources. That's resiliency. It's knowing who to call, when and where. And if communities know how to do that, then they are building capacity overall. Um, and one of the challenges I think that we face is what are the unknowns? What, uh, the, I didn't think about that uh, as we move into 2023, because there's going to be the bingo cards, as everybody calls them, where, oh, we didn't, we didn't think about that one. Did anybody think about it? 
And the one thing that I've always said to my staff is the person that opens up their mouth and says, we didn't think about that. That's what we're going to plan to, because mm -hmm. we always need to be thinking about from emergency management as emergency managers, consequence management. If we sit within the lane of consequence management, we're building resiliency by looking at projects, mitigation projects. We're building resiliency when we look at preparedness, looking at identif identifying gaps in terms of how do we build them in terms of capacity building grants. And then what are you ready for? The response and recovery of any event that takes place. So when we think about it, when you look at all disasters, start local and then local, the community, the communities that were impacted by the storm, unfortunate events. Uh, we saw the, the challenges that took place over Christmas at the airlines. They will right. bounce back. Uh, and it's it, it's the mentality that takes place within a, within an organization, a community that will help them bounce back and be better because it happened. And I've always been a firm believer of it because it's always looking at what worked, what did and what can we improve. And that's resiliency as well. Yeah, I agree with you there, you know, and, and taking a look at what can we improve is always the, the, the key part of it. One of the things that I found really interesting specifically about the Buffalo case is how the community really did come together. And, and, um, and I'll, I'll, I gave the shout out during the last one too, but I'll do it again to my, to my, I guess he's my great nephew. He's my niece's son. So it's a great nephew, right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, Deandre, he, he's out there, uh, him and his football team, uh, went around and were shoveling people's driveways out for free, right? They weren't asking for, for money and, and they were, they were doing it because they knew it had to be done, you know, especially for the elderly people that, that, that are out there in, in the Buffalo area. And I, I think we see more of that, you know, you've seen videos of people, um, you know, using, you know, snow machines or snowmobiles, uh, to pull people around to, to, to do things like this, to get out there and, and really, um, help out in the community. Um, I love it. The fact that, that the community does come together and not relying upon the government to tell them what to do, right. That they just know what to do and inherently strong. Um, you know, now there are some areas of improvement that we can find, you know, um, you know, snow removal is, is a huge issue, um, especially when they're overwhelmed, you know, and people being stuck on roads and stuff like this, you know, how, you know, how do we, how do we lead through that where, you know, we, we talk about messaging um, with people, you know, tell them, Hey, this big storm is coming. Don't go on the road unless you need to go on the road. And when we say need to, it's like emergencies. Like if you're not, you know, you cut your arm off or something, that's, that's what we're talking about. Need to, and not because you need to go to the store and grab, grab a milk, you know, that should have been done beforehand. But how do we get that message across to people saying, Hey, these storms are real. Dangers are real. And you're putting yourself and other people at risk when you decide to go on the road during these storms. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say it, Todd. One of the things that um, I found at the end of 2022 is I, I was engaged, I, I talked to uh, Director Graham from the, from the National Weather Service. Uh, and they're looking at how do they get to that last deliverable mile of messaging uh, when you have events. And the National Weather Service is, uh, you know, we've seen them take this, it's life threatening, uh, you know, the buzzwords uh, that get to the communities. It is a whole of government approach. Uh, at every single level to ensure that communities know what the risks are that they're facing uh, in before an event, know what they can do during an event, and then what the challenges are after and the risks are after the event as well. Um, you know, a lot of it is messaging. A lot of it is talking to uh, talking directly to the communities. 
uh, and knowing what that's going to look like. And then the other thing, too, is remembering we always go to the last storm, but the last storm will always be the one that's an indicator that there are going to be risks that anyone takes when they go out. Being informed is the most important thing anyone can do. Once you're informed, that's preparedness. You know what to do, when to do it, where to do it. And most importantly, know when the threshold is that you might have to leave in the event that you're totally impacted overall. The, the, the challenges that were taking place, and we look at this storm, and you know, some will say it was the storm of the century. Some will say it was the worst storm uh, for 45 years. I grew up in Syracuse, New York. Uh, it, you know, so, uh, you know, I, they know snow in New York. They do it so well to be able to take it. But when you have so much wind and snow and wave action and all these other things that are taking place, that's a very challenging day and it's winter weather. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's one of these things that as as communities, communities will come together and they will check on each other. And that's the messaging, too, is it's what to do during the storm. Stay in what to do right. after the storm. Check on your neighbors. And it's always consistently that we will see that that communication take place. And that's the importance of what we can do in terms of community resiliency. One of the things that we did in FEMA Region 5 is we did a lot of communication out to uh, smaller networks uh, as we saw the storm coming in. Initially, that that storm was looking at uh, the the Midwest as being a point of impact, and then it moved east. But a lot of that was coordination. Uh, we we had so many coordination calls that took place with our state directors uh, to ensure that they know what each state was doing, what they were planning to do, what impacts they were seeing, and most importantly, if they needed anything, they knew that we could pull a consequence management call together and convene to ensure they had all resources that they needed in the event that they had to close anything down, especially in the Midwest. The the southern tip of Lake Michigan is is a challenge in and of itself. And we saw the coordination take place between Michigan and Indiana so well uh, to ensure that the safety of anyone that was traveling or caught in in the event, because they were trying, it was one of these things of if you're going to go out, you, you know, really know your risks before you go. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you, you you do, you know, and, and as a kid from as a kid from Buffalo, New York, and and uh, you know, uh, I, I I had the, the blizzard. I'm going to age myself right now. Um, I I remember the blizzard of '77. You know, mm-hmm. I was a, a seven year old little dude. You know, and the snow was just for us. It was fun, right? Ah, no school for a couple of weeks, and you know, you're out there doing your stuff. But I know for you know for the adults, obviously, it was it was a lot of pressure and the same thing here, right. You know, for, for these, but Buffalo got smacked with two pretty decent snowstorms back to back, you know, and I think, I think that's a, that's a difference for them. You know, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we, we saw the results of that. If you guys are football fans watching Buffalo, you know, beat up on Miami with some snowballs, you know, so uh, not, not the finest hour for Buffalo fans, but you know, <laughs> it's, it is what it is. But, but, you know, the idea here is we, you're right. I mean, up the North, Northern part of the United States does snow well, right? You know, if it happens in, uh, you know, the South, it's a whole, it's a whole nother world for, for them. But, you know, with snow, the snow plows, everything that's going out there doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, this, the, the, the workers are doing, they're, they're working hard and they're working overtime and, and, and to mm-hmm. make sure that things are safe and, and plowing out of the way. Um, it was interesting because of the issues, you know, 
you know, watching the, the video, my wife was asking questions, you know, saying, why are they moving cars out of the middle of the road? You know, why can't they just plow around them? I'm like, no, you don't understand. These cars are stuck and they're, they're stopping the snow plows from going forth and doing what they have to do, you know? And, and so, um, you know, a lot of moving parts. And I think people, uh, mostly are, are gracious and understanding of, of that concept of time it takes to move everything. Um, but I know that the city right now of, of Buffalo is, is uh, being scrutinized uh, pretty closely. And, and I, I want to talk about not necessarily Buffalo, but um, when we take a look at emergency management getting scrutinized, it seems to be not necessarily on the response side of things, but on the recovery side. This is just my opinion of, of over the years of looking at when when people get upset with emergency management. Um, you know, what are we doing? What can we do better on the recovery side of disasters? Yeah, it, it's interesting. We act like um, it's always focused on the response, and then you get to the recovery, and everybody's tired uh, and. One of the things that I saw, and especially coming into this position, is that the ability to ramp up resources in the aftermath of a catastrophic incident is very fascinating. You see communities helping each other at the most local level. You see states supporting each other through Emergency Management Assistance Compact. You see the federal agencies coming together to be able to support both on the FEMA side and then also on other federal agency side as well. And one of the things that I can say, it's fascinating to watch how you can ramp up. And then what is that community most? Uh, I, you know, when I was uh, as a local emergency manager, the one I always think the one thing I always said was there's three things you need for a disaster, money, staff, and stuff. If you have those three entities, you're going to be able to respond to and recover from an incident uh, of great magnitude because you have all those resources at your fingertips. Insert staff is subject matter expertise. You have to bring in the right people to know exactly what's going to be needed for that community to recover and then be stronger because it happened. And that's some of the things that I find when we're going through these like types of disasters and these types of, you know, every disaster is an exercise. It's a real life incident. Okay. So that's an exercise. It's real Mm -hmm. life exercise. And when we go through these disasters, the ability to educate a community on like to be able to educate a community that may not necessarily experience disasters every single day. Uh, of resources available to them and the ability to get them those resources in a recovery, which is usually money and staff, subject matter expertise. That's a lot of it right there. And the one thing I can say in recovery that I found, and this was uh, in my tenure, when I came in as regional administrator, one of the things I found was what does a community need to recover? There were a couple things that I talked about and I, I started to foot stomp across region five. First thing first was really uh, good quality damage assessments. Yeah, A good quality damage assessment identifies the size and scope of an event almost immediately. They're going to know that that community has been impacted. We know that the community has been impacted, but how bad? And at what point do we need to start working with volunteer organizations? Because we know it's not going to rise to the level of a, of a catastrophic incident of a major presidential disaster declaration. And how do we start working with volunteer organizations after a disaster or community organizations after a disaster to help them recover? Or if it's big enough, then we're taking those damage assessments and identifying the threshold so we can identify if there's going to be a potential for a presidential disaster declaration overall. 
And I, one of the things that I talk about with our state directors all the time is damage assessments are so important. And I look at emergency managers. I can say when I was an emergency manager at the local level, I never 100% understood the value of a good quality damage assessment until I've sat in this seat. And there was, a, I'll go back to my, my time as, as, a, as a local emergency manager in the city of Chicago. We had a lakeshore, we knew there was a lakeshore flood warning that was going to take place. And one of the challenges that we faced is that the lakefront, it was the highest lake levels they'd seen in years. And one of the challenges we found is that we didn't go out and take pictures ahead of time. Oh. We went to the damage assessment afterwards. And one of the challenges we faced was adjudicating what was damages before and after. And this was a big event. And so I, I talk about like what I've said to people is, look, if you know an event's going to take place and you know where there's areas of your, of your, of your, of your municipality, of your county, of, your, of, of where you are, and you know that you can prove that they were not impacted before the disaster, a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. And a timestamp is worth a thousand words. So you can prove uh, when and where that, that, that picture took place. So good quality damage assessments. The second thing is knowing that your that your ability to respond, uh, where your ability to respond to and recover from an incident takes place, and then the last thing is is ensuring that the community has all the resources to be su- to successful in the aftermath of a, of a catastrophic incident. If they're not going to be able to receive uh, uh, um, you know federal assistance, which you know the, the most states and locals have the ability to respond to a, probably I'd say a, a lot of their depending on where they are across the country they have an ability to respond to that incident but then it's knowing who your partners are yeah. if you know who your partners are nonprofit non-government organizations community organizations your your local agencies that be able, might be able to or state agencies or like we see uh, the small business association SBA a lot of declarations take place with SBA at any given time, and that helps the community get back on their feet and get back to the road to recovery uh, overall. And then thinking about how do we mitigate against this in the aftermath? Uh, if an event takes place, what do we do to mitigate the effects of that disaster uh, and start talking about that as the event has taken place or in the aftermath of the event that takes in place does help because there's hazard mitigation funding available all the time, yeah. which goes back to our initial part, resiliency. Preparedness right. and mitigation are the big things that, that that build into resiliency as well. Yeah, the mitigation side of the house always gets a uh, you know short stick on when we talk about emergency management. You know, people for whatever reason don't want to work in the mitigation side, but that's like where the uh, the, the real work is done, and and where uh, uh, you, you know you can make big huge differences on that. <clears throat> you know, I'll tell you a funny re- recovery story. We had a big storm that came in, and. Um, one of our lifeguard, the lifeguard headquarters got, got really damaged really bad. Um, ripped a roof off of it and, you know, some things. And so when uh, we're going through, when FEMA came in and we're going through the, the, the our, our, the fight for, for lack of a better term with them to, to get the funding. Right. And, and I say that in air quotes, everybody, there's not really a fight, but there's a process you have to go through and you do, you have to prove like, yeah. And so the, the the guy or the guy who is doing our audit goes, hey, um, you know, can you prove that you didn't have a roof problem before the storm came in? And I'm like, how do I prove that? You know, like how do I, how do I prove that the storm 
that there was like the sunroof or the sunroof, the sunlight, you know, didn't get ripped off earlier. And we just waited for a storm to come in to, to, you know, it's just like, he's like, oh, well, you have to take a look at like all your maintenance records and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh my Lord, like mm-hmm. how much work, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Right. And if you can get that stuff and have it ready to go, it just makes the process so much easier. You know, they're doing their job of saying, Hey, you know, you know, what, what was going on beforehand? Um, and where's the maintenance on it? And you know, what's really kills you a lot of times in recovery is deferred maintenance. Just let you know. So deferred maintenance that, that gets you every time. Um, so as we're looking at this, what is it to really lead now at that FEMA region five, you know, like what does it mean for you to be leading this organization um, that you have been put in charge of? I, I, it's interesting. I, I struggle because a, a part of me is uh, there is no greater honor than to be able to lead uh, over 300 subject matter experts that are dedicated to our mission, helping people before, during, and after disasters. Um, I never, you know, as I as I have come into this role, one of the things that I found is the passion uh, that takes place is something that gives me the energy every single day. When I can talk to our employees and our staff and our team members uh, and talk about our mission uh, and see what they're doing to enhance our mission is so incredibly exciting. There's there's uh, no word could ever describe how exciting it is to watch uh, what's taking place. The other side, I would say, is uh, leading as a regional administrator, leading our team uh, throughout the region, our area of responsibility, six states and 34 tribal nations. One of the things that I find, though, is that there are three things that we focus down on. The first thing is our mission. Mission is everything. And what I find is our mission is somewhat the same in every single jurisdiction, helping people before, during, and after disasters. We do that across the emergency management field. So it's very easy to always fall back to our mission. The second thing is our core values. Our core values of compassion, integrity, respect are so important. Uh, as, as we look at, as, as we look at um, what we do, uh, that we can always fall back to our core values when we're having a challenging day. And the last thing right now today is our strategic plan. Uh, when I came into this position and I read our strategic plan, I was reading the strategic plan as, as I was coming on board. And they were, they were operationalizing the strategic plan. And one of the greatest things I can say is this is the greatest opportunity we have post-pandemic, post-largest disaster any of us have seen in our lifetimes, to actually continue to build resiliency across our communities that we serve in our nation. Equity. One of the things I said when I was at the local level, when I was in Chicago, was this event exacerbated the inequities that we saw prior, before any disaster that would have ever taken place. And so understanding equity and building equity in everything that we do and baking it in so equity is always there and at the forefront is everything. And I saw that in our region take place and equity actually operationalized when we had a disaster take place in one county, St. Clair County, Illinois, in 2022. That is equity in action. St. Clair County receiving a major disaster declaration, a presidential disaster declaration, uh, was massive. And I was so honored to watch the team build that disaster into be able to serve the community that was impacted most. Climate change. We know it's real. The Knowing the risks of climate change, being a, 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 a thought leader in climate change is everything. 
When we talk about resiliency, these disasters are continuing to happen on a regular clip. They're, hap- they're going to be larger, high highs, low lows. Right. We just saw, uh, we just saw uh, a, a snowstorm come and hit. And then what's happening? Now we're seeing 50 degree temperatures and a, and a, and a heavy, a, a fast thaw. So, and, 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 and not, to, not to interrupt you on that, that fast thaw is going to create additional problems. So, you're right. Exactly. And, the, and, and actually, the last, the last storm happened, that, that was the same challenge that they ran into in one of the last storms, too. So, like climate change and knowing the risks of climate change and being able to mitigate against those climate change will build resiliency into that conversation. And the last thing is a ready nation. When we think about a ready nation, we talk about the FEMA that that our communities, that our nation deserves. But one of the things that I could say is that we need every single level of government to be ready for the effects of any type of disaster that may impact them. I came in and it was focused on cyber. In 2022, in March of 2022, when I was sworn in, it was cyber. Then it was focused on critical infrastructure. Then it was uh, nation state threats. Then it was uh, all of the hurricanes that took place and being able and responding to the hurricanes. Then it was a snowstorm. Like it's we're constantly in a state of response. Mm. So we have to be able to leverage our blue sky days to be ready for our gray sky days and know that there is no like right now our disaster period is all the time. So how do we help build our communities to ensure that they have the capacity and the resources to be successful before, during, and after a disaster? And that's the honor of leading the region is being able to talk to this and being able to have open, honest dialogue and talk to local emergency managers, to talk to state directors who genuinely care about the communities that they serve, and then talk to other regional administrators and across our nation with people that care. That's what it's all about. And so for me, it's win behind the sales every single day. And I talk, our team hears all the time. There's three things I talk to the team about. Number one, I ask them, what does success look like? The second thing I ask them is, what are we missing? And the third thing I ask them is to think outside of the box, because right now our leadership, our administrator focuses on outside of the box thinking to ensure that our communities are ready and resilient and prepared for any type of disaster that takes place. It's like you can feel the energy right now because it's like, this is the exciting part of where we're at in, 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 in where I'm at in my career, but I'm watching this take place and I'm seeing everyone across the nation. There's a lot of the emergency managers feeling the same way, whether at the local level, the state level or the federal level, there's a lot of people that are really focused on how do we continue to push this, especially post pandemic. Yeah. Right now we're in a very, I think we're in a very, uh, we're in a very sweet spot. Emergency management has a lot of wind in the sails. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be like that for a long time? I don't know. But what I can say is that if we continue to put the wind in the sails and know that emergency managers are consequence managers, problem solvers, and conveners, we have an opportunity at our fingertips to continue pushing forward and building resiliency across our communities. I want to talk about community here for a minute. And because I think, like I said at the beginning, that that's the, the crutch of this entire thing is having disaster resilient, anti fragile, robust community programs. And one of the things that we had back in the you know the fifties, forties, late forties, you know even you know World War II starting on, and it kind of just petered out. I guess like 
in the late 60s is the concept of like the civil defense right mm-hmm. and you know this is obviously the where we came from as a as a as a profession you know we were born throughout civil defense and although we were worried about nuclear war at that time but the other side of it too is like victory gardens and you know having you know i mean we have little pieces of it right cert is kind of a piece of it and you know the volunteer police services is a little piece of it and maybe the races program with the ham radios we have all these little pieces that still kind of linger from that concept of 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 community of readiness um can we get back to that where communities um, look at themselves and say, we have ownership of being prepared as a community, not just looking towards the government, the county government, the state government, the FEMA to come in and bail us out when a disaster happens, but we could take care of ourselves locally. Um, the optimist side of me is there anything is possible. Uh, when you look at, when we go back to, I don't think we'll ever go back to civil defense. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I was really, uh, I had a lot of energy from is I was at the International Association, you know, when we saw each other at the International Association of Emergency Managers Conference uh, in Savannah in 2022. One of the things I'm seeing is there's a new wave of emergency managers come in. To, c- come in. Uh, and, and, and for me, what's energetic is that we're seeing new emer- emergency, we're, we're seeing emergency managers come into play uh, at, a, at a faster clip. I, I've never seen so many uh, aspiring emergency managers in my entire life. Uh, that's where there's wind behind the sails, um, to get communities to, uh, you know, know that preparedness is their, their responsibility in their level. It's going down one step and as community members, which we all are in our communities, it is our responsibility to ensure that we are prepared as best as possible. Uh, and one of the things our, my team members talk about all the time is they talk about, uh, the female in your, in your community. What does that mean? Well, that's emergency management. What's emergency management? It's preparedness. And how do we bring it down to where it's a conversation that takes place to where people actually care about making sure that they're prepared and knowing what the risks are of their community and knowing how to get information because today we are a uh, we're, we're a society that we're, uh, relies on the the good old cell phone. Yeah, what can be nested in that cell phone though is an opportunity. How? Who? What's your favorite app? Why? Because if your favorite app is a preparedness app, then you know that you can actually help get another person to actually be prepared that there's an event that takes place. So how do we get to that point? I, I watched Apple. Uh, uh, you know, I, I watched uh, how they have like the crash detection now. Yeah. You know, so it's evolving, it's adapting, uh, and I think that, and I and I and I and I and I'm, I'm watching our 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 our, uh, our colleagues talk about this. How do we adapt from what we've done? So we know that you know you have phases of emergency management. Well, we have the years of emergency management. FEMA is 40 years old, but emergency management goes way before uh, uh, you know 40 years ago. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was civil defense. And it, so it was civil defense era. And then we get into, uh, you know, from civil defense, emergency management, what's emergency management? Community preparedness starts with you. And it starts with our families. And it starts with who we care about. 
And so when we start talking about that open, honest dialogue, it's ensuring that people know what to do when they're impacted and where to go. And I think that it can happen. Uh, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't talk about hope all that much. What I really focus on is how do we get it to where we're teaching people at, a, at, at the level that is going to be impressioned? And how do they take that to the rest of, for the rest of their life? So I'll give a prime example. I have a 10-year-old, soon to be 11, wants to be in Boy Scouts. He's very, he's very big on being prepared. Well, I can help influence my child to want to always be prepared. I can help, I can help him understand that we have over 72 hours worth of food, we have 72 hours worth of water, and we know our family communications plan and our family preparedness plan. That's where it starts. And so what we have to do is give resources and give tools to, to communities to ensure that they know what to do when something happened, before, during, and after something happens. And if we go back to our mission of what we do in, in FEMA or our mission across the emergency management field, we will get there. It's going to take continued conversation. It's going to take watching these disasters that take place. It's going to take us continue to have these open eyes dialogues and start looking external outside of emergency management to ensure that we're able to build resiliency in communities before that event takes place. So that's a long, it's a long, long-winded answer to say, Todd, yes. The answer is yes. We have to, we have to, yeah, I was always a, a firm believer of the power of positive thinking. And one of the things I can say is if we continue to think positively that we're going to be able to build resiliency and preparedness in communities, we as emergency managers in the field have to be the leader in that yes. so that everyone else can continue to know where to go to get the information and what to do if something happens and have that conversation. Because I always think, well, how, what do I tell people? I tell everybody I'm a preparedness person, a problem solver, and a convener. Yeah. That's what we do. And I'm proud of it. Every single day, I'm proud of it. And one of the things I could say is communities, as we see resiliency takes place, we will see it. We just got to start bringing it out of the shadows a little bit as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, <clears throat> last question, because we're coming here at the end of our time. Um, we mentioned that you, and, and I agree with you, this past uh, IEM conference in Savannah was was amazing to see a lot of young faces in the crowd and, and, and different types of faces in the crowd is um, across the board. And I think that's amazing. And, and I'm excited about that. What do you say to those that are thinking about getting into emergency management, maybe haven't pulled the trigger? Why should they become an emergency manager? Being an emergency manager is the greatest honor anyone could ever do. You get to know uh, how communities operate. You get to understand uh, how government works uh, in crisis. It's, it's crisis leadership. And what I can say is the energy I get is watching uh, our aspiring emergency managers continue to push the needle. Uh, when I was at IAM, uh, I, was, I went to the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Caucus, and uh, there was a historically uh, uh, HBCU, uh, that uh, historically black uh, college university that was there, uh, and they talked about their CERT program. I was so energized by how they created a CERT program. And I was so energized by how passionate they were 
that it was like, this is it. Like we do have the next generation of emergency managers sitting among us. Yeah. So there's, I always talk about so anyone that talks about leadership. I always talk about this in life. We're all players in the game. We all have coaches that help us refine our skills and, and make and push us to do more. We have mentors and we have sponsors. The mentors are the ones that help us see what we don't see in ourselves. And the sponsors are the ones that are actually going to go out there and, and talk about a person say, I met this person. I know who they are. They're a phenomenal emergency manager. And one of the things I can say to the next generation is we're bringing new generations on emergency managers is you've got to keep the faith because emergency management is not going away. <laughs> crises and communities are going to, crises are going to take place. Communities are going to be impacted by disasters. It's not going away. The importance is, is having someone that can convene, coordinate, and problem solve in, a, in, that, in, these, in these large catastrophic and small catastrophic events to be able to build that, the, the, a community back better in the event that they are affected by a stressor stressor. And I would say that the aspiring emergency managers, power of positive thinking, there, is a, there are opportunities across this country every single day. So... The most important thing is being able to put yourself out there. Jump on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is one of the, the greatest things that we can see as a professional platform. And put yourself out there. Because if you do enough of that, if you're looking for the, the, the job that you want, it may not be 100% what you want, but it gets your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Once your foot's in the door, the world's the oyster. And I, I, I'm, I, I've always said I'm the luckiest emergency manager you'll ever meet because every single opportunity that fell on my lap was an opportunity to serve communities to the greatest extent. And having that honor and that, 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 that privilege is, is one of the things that I can say has helped me continue to see the opportunity that we have in front of us. And I, I'm, a wind, I'm, a, I'm a windshield person. The windshield's always larger than the rearview mirror. Always look back at where you've been, but always look forward and see what the opportunity is ahead. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Todd. Great to see you. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And as always, you know, reach out. It's really important, as Tom was saying, to have great mentors, great sponsors, and great leaders. And everybody, until next time, stay safe, stay hydrated.